From the grassroots media team at Weave News, this is Interweave It. Welcome to episode 14 of Interweaving. I'm John Collins. Today is Saturday, April 4th, and according to the Coronavirus Resource Center at Johns Hopkins University, there are now more than 1.1 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 worldwide. Over 60,000 people have died, and more than 233,000 have recovered. Here at Weave News, we continue to receive reports from around the world in response to our March 16th call for audio testimonies about the impact of the pandemic. Today, we spotlight four voices from the Bronx, New York, China, Zimbabwe, and Guatemala. From the challenges facing healthcare workers to the struggles of local communities trying to crowdsource funds for ventilators, to concerns about hunger and the tough choices facing families. Each of these reports provides us with a snapshot of a local moment in the development of this global story. My name is Jesus Ruiz. Today is Thursday, the 2nd of April, 2020, and I am reporting from my apartment in the Bronx, New York. COVID is affecting my community greatly because it is a community made up of working class folk who represent, I believe, one of the most ethnically diverse neighborhoods in New York City. And with that said, perhaps even the world, uh, this is a community where there's probably three different types of Latino, a couple of different groups from South Asia, I would say West Africa also uh, has a pretty strong foothold in this community uh, from Nigeria to the Democratic Republic of Congo to Ecuador and Mexico, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Bangladesh. Uh, so it's it's truly a melting pot and largely working class. We live right across the street from Montefiore Medical Hospital, uh, which is where my wife works. So it's been surreal to experience the everyday sights in our community differently than what a lot of my friends tell me who live, say, on the Upper East Side or in different neighborhoods of Brooklyn. Our neighborhood does not seem like a ghost town, uh, so to speak. It's, there's actually still very much a flow of people on the streets, in the bodegas, uh, at the little supermarkets, people going to the pharmacy, picking up their produce, picking up their food. I think to me what it reveals is that a lot of the people in this community do not have the privilege or the luxury of being able to just stay at home and work. We've seen that a lot of daycares have closed, of course the schools have, and so the economy that many of these people rely on but also work in simply has not afforded them certain privileges. In terms of my everyday life, I, you know, I've been very fortunate and privileged that I can work from home, just teleworking on a laptop. My wife is a gynecologist here at Montefiore Medical Center, and so she's had to do a lot of her usual work in very unusual conditions. Um, and the sense we get is that they're preparing for the worst. They're at the hospital, they've run out of ventilators and they have done refresher courses on how to intubate people. And so we're prepping 
for her to potentially be pulled and drafted to to help with uh, more kind of emergency room situations, although we don't know yet what's going to happen. So uh, it's been very anxiety inducing. We have a nine month old infant. We are very fortunate uh, that our daycare has decided to stay open. And so we essentially have no other choice but to take him there. It's been a very conflicting it's been a very difficult decision and we're very conflicted about it but at the same time we we realize that um our families you know they're far away uh and so we're we're kind of on our own in in terms of that and so we kind of have no choice but we also consider ourselves very fortunate and very privileged to to have that that option to take him there um you know i i have to be honest what gives me hope is is just seeing a lot of the the solidarity, uh, you know, and, and the, the support that messages that, that we get. Just today, we got a, a care package from my wife's family in Louisiana with gloves and masks that they that her aunts, uh, uh, that I like to affectionately call the Cajun Army, they um, sewed my wife uh, masks because she was down to her last two and the hospital was running low. That gives me some hope, um, but in terms of kind of broadly how it affects the way I see the world, it's made me even that much more just exasperated and at a loss uh, with the so-called leadership of this country and, and just the all-out failure of how they, you know, they've handled the situation. So hopefully it gets better, uh, but that's, that's a brief report. Hello, my name is Phyllis, and I'm from Zhejiang, China. I work in a training school as a Chinese teacher. China might be the first country the new virus outbreak began to spread. Uh, I'd like to share my COVID-19 story as an ordinary Chinese people. Uh, we finished our work at the end of the year, uh, Chinese New Year's Eve, and we had heard some news from social media at that time. So we began to realize that we should stock up some masks and medicinal alcohol. And just in the following two days, the medical masks were almost sold out at every store in the city. We couldn't find them at all. But fortunately, I had got some left. Many young people were afraid our parents' generation and the old wouldn't listen to us to wear masks at the very beginning. Then the Spring Festival was coming. My family went to Wenzhou. We planned to celebrate New Year there. We canceled Spring Festival visits to our relatives. We stayed at home instead. The government took very strict measures. All provinces in China activate a first-level public health emergency response in a week. They asked uh, residents stay at home, issued there would be only one person in every family be allowed to go outside to buy some daily necessities or hospital every other day. So my father took the shopping lists my mother wrote to the supermarket once a week. Uh, we need to take body temperature and a special code to enter the community checkpoint. A few days later, the whole city was locked down in order to contain the epidemic. 
But we could do. Uh, we could go downstairs to do some exercises, and I also followed the、uh, COVID nineteen reports several times a day. It feels like we are living in a movie right now. This is so unreal. My brother celebrated his fifteenth birthday、um, in Wenzhou. This was the first time he had birthday in our hometown since he was born. They have been taking online classes for almost one and a half months till now. After they went back to Tianjin,、um, they were asked to quarantine themselves for fourteen days. The neighborhood committee、uh, committee helped them buy food.、Uh, many companies in China have gradually resumed operations from mid March after in. Uh, implementing detailed virus control and prevention measures, some have rolled out flexible working hours and working from home、um, options for their employees. But the Chinese schools like ours are still waiting for the further information. Just confirm that the Chinese schools. And public schools will start at different times in different parts of China. The public schools have to open first; they got priority. I just hope everything will go back to normal soon. But I guess many people will take this time as a crossroads in life. And my cooking、um, skill has improved a lot. At the end, I still want to express my. Thanks to the medical staff worldwide, and my concerns to the patients. I want to say cheer up in this audio. We are together with you. You're listening to Interweaving, a podcast of conversation and context from Weave News. Contributions from readers and listeners play a central role in helping us continue and expand our grassroots media-making efforts. If you'd like to support our work, just visit weavenews.org/donate. Now back to the show. My name is Tafazo Tafi Negonde. Today is Tuesday, April first, twenty twenty, and I'm reporting from Harare, Zimbabwe. I recently came from China on March twenty first, twenty twenty, where I was teaching English there. I'm going to share my experiences with COVID nineteen in Zimbabwe, and I will also draw a few parallels with China because of COVID nineteen. The president of Zimbabwe declared a 21-day lockdown, which started on March 30, 2020. Today is day three of the lockdown. Schools, universities closed early because of resource access. Online teaching is not possible in Zimbabwe, and it's beyond the means of many. So many students are just sitting at home. All businesses have been closed except those which are considered essential. Streets in the capital are deserted. However, in the residential areas, there is still a lot of movement. I'm seeing a lot of despair, confusion, and misinformation circulating on social media. For some, it's anger because the lockdown deprives them of the means to put the food to the table. The lockdown works well for a few people who can work from home. However, in Zimbabwe, the majority are not formally employed. So they sell goods and live from hand to mouth. This has caused a lot of concern because some people are saying the lockdown appeals to maybe rich countries or it applies to 
other countries, but maybe not Zimbabwe, because most people are in the informal sector. Very few people can afford to follow the messages being preached all over the media. They cannot afford things like sanitizers, masks, and issues like social distances are not really practical in the Zimbabwean context, where people live maybe nine people or ten people in one room. When I compare to China, I see a lot of differences. In China, almost everyone wore masks. There were temperature checks at supermarket entrances. And even in China, they created a health application that tracked the movement. All these are non-existent in Zimbabwe. Our hospitals are ill-equipped to deal with this if inflection rates increases. There's little testing being done in Zimbabwe, and there are little or a few centers which are able actually to admit people who have um, serious COVID-19 cases. There's hope though in Zimbabwe because Zimbabweans are putting aside their differences, be it racial, political, ethnic, and social um, ends to mobilize resources on social media. For example, there are some groups which are starting that are raising money on GoFundMe to raise money for ventilators. Some are also trying to raise money for food packs for people who are poor and in resource-lacking communities. It has been a challenge indeed for Zimbabweans because industries like tourism, they depend, uh, they bring a lot of foreign currency to the country, but they've been closed uh, because they've been shut down on travel. And most of hotels have been closed. So it is a big challenge economically for Zimbabwe. But in Zimbabwe, as in other countries, some people are worse off affected than others, especially those who are poor or coming from resource marginalized backgrounds. My name is Isa. Um, today is the 2nd of April, and I am reporting from Guatemala in Central America. Today, our president confirmed the existence of 46 positive cases of COVID-19. One person died a couple of weeks ago. 12 were sent back home this week because they recover. And we only have uh, three cases that are in critical conditions. One of them is a, a girl, a little girl. And I will say that it is the first time I personally have seen my government act in such a quick way and in such a positive way in order to contain the virus. Um, our airports were one of the first ones that closed in Central America. We only have open borders um, in Mexico. Um, that's the only open border that is functioning and is the only one who's allowing uh, citizens to come in. And they are taking um, all the the data they need to like map these people around the country. Um, we, we have a curfew. We're living under a curfew from 4 p.m. to 4 a.m. Uh, all malls and um, places where people used to like gather there are closed or religious um, community meetings are closed um, the only two departments that are allowed to like continue their routine of work are food and sanitation all other departments are are closed or they're working from home uh, and I think this is a really positive thing here in Guatemala is that we could like contain the virus um, still we have this other phase right now that is our economy and how our, our economy is facing this um, pandemic. I think Guatemala is 
uh, or I remember it is characterized by people who work for the day and most of our population work for the day, work in the streets, in the places where they're like fresh uh, vegetables that are bring and this is like a work of the day. So those people are, or those communities are like really facing this other phase of this pandemic that is how our, their economy is just being destroyed and, and they don't have anything to to rely on. Um, this week I heard a person in the TV and she was saying that even though the virus is not going to kill us, maybe hunger is going to kill us because you could see in the streets or even like around my house, I don't see a lot of people just walking or people going out and buying food or buying vegetables. There's not. Still, we're seeing that uh, a lot of our community is turning to help this part of the population. And there's a lot of initiatives right now in my hometown. And they're like collecting food and and collecting all this um, need that like basic needs for people. And they're like taking them to to the municipality and they are like giving it to these families, the government order um, that they're gonna give approximately like $150 to, um, to these families in order to like provide them basic needs, but still people are panicking due to this condition. So I hope everyone um, stay safe. This is just an overview in Guatemala. Um, I cannot speak for everyone. Uh, I, I'm sure that there's different perspectives around the country. Um, I personally haven't went out or this is just what I have seen in the news or what I have seen around here. Um, so yeah, I hope everyone stay safe. On behalf of the team here at Interweaving, heartfelt thanks to Jesus, Phyllis, Tafadzwa, and Isa for contributing their voices to today's episode. Stay tuned for more COVID-19 diaries in future episodes of the podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about how you can help us weave the world together during this global pandemic, please check out our new dedicated project page at weavenews.org COVID-19 Diaries. That's weavenews.org slash COVID-19 Diaries. Thanks, and take care. Interweaving is a production of Weave News, weaving the world together, one underreported story at a time. Our engineer is Terry Dubray, and our theme music is provided by Bee Children. For more exciting grassroots media content, find us online at weavenews.org on social media at Weave News. There you can find out how you can support or join us in our work. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another episode of Interweaving.